If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. Real pleasure and privilege to be looking at uh, this wonderful part of uh, God's word together this morning. Uh, let me lead us in prayer and uh, we'll get uh, right into it. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that you have not left us in the darkness, but that you have shone the light of the gospel into our hearts. Uh, thank you, Father, for speaking to us and teaching us of your ways and uh, of your character. And uh, today uh, we pray that you would convince us uh, and help us to see uh, just how much we are loved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, there have been some terrible um, social experiments done through the ages. But one of the saddest experiments was conducted by Frederick II, who was the king of Sicily uh, in medieval times. Uh, it said that Frederick was fascinated by languages and wanted to find out what the natural language of human beings might be. And so what he did is he took five babies and told his nurses not to speak to them so that he could find out what language they would end up speaking, even if no one uh, spoke to them. And so uh, day after day, the nurses washed and, and fed the babies, but uh, did not speak to them. But further, the nurses were specifically instructed not even to touch the babies or show any kind of affection or human emotion towards the babies. What do you think happened? Well, while these babies were washed and fed and physically looked after, after three years, they all tragically died. You see, these babies could live without language, but they could not live without love. And although we are not babies, I want to suggest that in each and every one of us is a deep yearning for love. Is that true? Inside each and every one of us is a deep need to know that there is someone who loves us and knows us and cares for us. 
Well, we've been working our way through uh, John's gospel, and one of the things we've seen over the past few weeks is that Jesus comes and he replaces the old with the new. Uh, when Jesus turns the water into wine at Cana, uh, he replaces the old method of purification with his very own blood that purifies us from sin. When Jesus clears the, the temple, he replaces the old bricks and mortar temple that stood in Jerusalem, and he replaces it with the temple of his very own body. And when Jesus meets Nicodemus, who we met last week, well, he replaces religiosity with his, with his own spirit as the means to enter into his kingdom. But today's passage is really uh, John's commentary on Jesus's encounter with Nicodemus. And it has as its central theme, the love of God. Indeed, uh, you can see there that our passage contains John 3.16, which, uh, as Matt mentioned, is arguably the most famous part of the Bible that speaks about God's astonishing love. And my aim this morning is simple. Uh, I want to persuade you to know that God loves you and that he has gone to extraordinary lengths to show you his love. But I want to persuade not just those of you who are new to the faith or exploring the Christian faith at the moment. I want to persuade all of you that even those who are very active in Christian ministry and in serving Jesus. For isn't it true that sometimes we can be so convinced that God loves others, God loves everyone else, but we have our doubts about whether God loves us. Is that true? Now, friends, if we dive in, uh, the first thing I want you to see in our passage is there in an important, uh, uh, the first uh, thing I want you to see in our passage is that there is this important connection between God's love and the death of his son at the cross. Uh, you might remember that last week, uh, Mike explained verse 14 to us, where Jesus compares Moses lifting up uh, the bronze serpent in the wilderness to the son of man being lifted up at the cross. Uh, you know, in the book of Numbers, we saw last week that the people of Israel grumble against God. And uh, what does God do? Well, he sends deadly serpents to bite his people. And yet when the people repent, uh, God asks Moses to lift up uh, this bronze snake, this bronze serpent, so that those who were bitten and as good as dead could look upon that serpent and live. In a similar way, Jesus says that he will be lifted up. He is like that bronze serpent. He will be lifted up at the cross so that those who are as good as dead in their sins might look upon him and live. But why does God send his son to rescue us? Why does he, why does he go to this extraordinary length in sending his, his own son, his very own son, to be lifted up at the cross? Well, notice that verse 16 starts with the important word for. In other words, this is John's answer to why God sends Jesus to rescue us. It's for no other reason 
than he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I think the small words in that sentence are very precious. The little word, so, is very precious. For it tells us that God's love towards us is very intense. He doesn't just love, love us, he so loves us. Or the little word only is very precious. For it speaks of the value of God's gift to us, which demonstrates his love. He doesn't just give us what is expendable to him. No, he gives his only son. Uh, do we have any only children here? Uh, do we have any, is anyone an only child? Yep, a few, a few of you. Um, you will know just how precious you are to your parents. I mean, uh, if you have 10 children and you lost one of them, uh, it will be deeply painful. But if you have an only child and lose that child, it is unbearable. Uh, that's why in the Old Testament, God asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, who is his only son, is so unbearable. You see, God doesn't simply give what is expendable to him. Rather, he gives what is most precious to him, which is his only son. But friends, I think the most extraordinary thing about verse 16 is the object of God's love. For who does God love? Well, we're told that he loves the world. But what is this world like? Well, it's very common to think that we live in a wonderful world, isn't it? But is the world really that wonderful? Uh, some of you who are a bit older might know the movie uh, Good Morning Vietnam. Uh, obviously, it's a movie that is set in the Vietnam War. And in that movie, there is this famous scene where you hear the song, uh, What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. But as the music plays, the scenes that are played on the screen are that of war. And so there is this jarring effect as you hear, What a Wonderful World, while on the screen you see bombs exploding in front of children, people being gunned down by machine guns, and soldiers sexually harassing women. You know, it's the same whenever we switch on the news, isn't it? Uh, you hear of tens of thousands of people who died overnight in earthquakes. You hear of mass shootings in America. You hear of violent protests and, and financial crises and, and sexual assaults and murders, and the list goes on and on and on. You know, it's always very hard to watch the news and not come away feeling too depressed, isn't it? And that's why a number of years ago, news stations decided to show a good news story at the end of every broadcast. You know, you see the horror and evil and death of this world for an hour, and then you see a good news story about a fireman rescuing a cat, and you think to yourself, oh, what a wonderful world. 
But no, the world in John's gospel is not a wonderful world. Rather, it is a world that has rejected God, has rejected his ways, and has made a mess of things. Further, it's not a world that is out there and distant from us either. For Jesus himself says the things that you and I see in this world are the very things that exist in our own hearts. In Mark chapter 7, he says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Have you ever had evil thoughts? Have you ever been sexually immoral? In your office or in front of a computer screen, perhaps? Have you ever hated someone? Have you ever gossiped? Have you ever felt jealous? You see, friends, there is something deeply wrong with this world because it is a world that has rejected God and you and I are just as much a part of the problem as anyone else. And yet, extraordinarily, incredibly, unimaginably, God loves the world that has rejected him and gave his very own son to die on the cross for sin so that you and I might not have eternal death and condemnation, which would be right for God to do, but rather eternal life under God's love and favour. That is, if you want to know just how much God loves you, look to the cross. For there, as Jesus hangs bleeding on a cross, paying for your sins and my sins, and paying for the sins of a world that has walked away from God, you see most clearly just how much God loves you. You see, my brothers and sisters, you don't see God's love reliable, reliably simply by looking at your circumstances. You don't see God's love reliably by seeking signs and miracles. But you do see God's love, his amazing love, by looking at the cross. He loves you. But friends, what if you reject God's love? You know, God has gone to extraordinary lengths, as we have seen, to show his love for you and for me. But what if we reject his love and spurn his love? Well, the next few verses of our passage show that if we reject his love, then it's not because God is at fault. It's because you and I are at fault. Now, you can see there that John continues this idea that God, that God has gone to extraordinary lengths to save the world through his son. You can see it there in verse 17, can't you? Where John says, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I love this verse because it gives us a bit of a glimpse into God's heart. You know, have you ever thought of God as that harsh, finger-wagging, quick to judge kind of God that wants to jump on us every time we do something that is wrong. 
Well, verses like this tell us that nothing can be further from the truth. For God is a God whose desire is not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Or in the words of the prophet Ezekiel, he is a God who has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but desires that the wicked turn from his way and live. Now, if you have read John's gospel before, uh, you might see a bit of a bit of a difficulty here. For in verse 17, uh, the word condemn that you see there is simply the, the word uh, to judge. And yet in other parts of John's gospel, we are told that Jesus has come to judge. And so, for example, uh, turn with me um, a few pages to chapter 5, uh, verse 27. Chapter 5, verse 27, John tells us there, in chapter 5, verse 27, and he, that is God, has given him, that is Jesus, authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Or turn with me to chapter 9, verse 39, chapter 9, verse 39, where, where Jesus says uh, these words. He says, for judgment, I came into this world. And so what is going on here? Has Jesus come to save or has Jesus come to judge? Is the Bible contradicting itself at this point? How, how do we make sense of what uh, John's gospel is telling us here? Do you want to have a bit of a think about that? Uh, have, a, have, a, have a chat with the person sitting next to you. Uh, how can John in, in one breath say God has not come to condemn the world and then in another breath say, well, Jesus has come to condemn the world and to judge the world? Uh, have, a, have a bit of a chat uh, with the person sitting next to you. All right, uh, that's enough uh, time to chat. Um, does anyone want to uh, be brave and volunteer an answer? How do we make sense of the fact that in chapter 3, uh, John says God has not come to judge or condemn the world? And in another part of John, he says, well, Jesus has come to judge and condemn the world. Anyone want to give it a go? Was that a hand up? Uh, YJ? No? That was just your hand. Okay. <laughs> Anyone? What were you talking about? <laughs> Andrew? It's because we start verse 3. Yep. Okay, so we already start condemned, and Jesus coming uh, is him not condemning us. Where he comes with the purpose of not condemning us. Yep. That could be uh, what, what, you know, that could be one way of making sense of, of John. Any other takers? Uh, the main purpose is, is for Jesus to come to save it, save the world. But, the yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the other side of the coin of salvation is always judgment. Uh, that's kind of what you're saying, isn't it? Um, yeah, uh, that could be another uh, uh, another way. Um, yeah, condemnation started at the fall. Okay, so and Jesus executing judgment is is on the last day. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I tend to think uh, that that's uh, what John is talking about uh, here. So um, when uh, John tells us that Jesus has come to judge. 
Uh, well, he will come to judge, won't he? On the last day, and he will condemn. But when Jesus comes uh, in, you know, 33 AD to begin his ministry, well, uh, that's not the time for judgment. Because the time between Jesus's first coming and second coming is the time for salvation. It is the window that God gives to the world to be saved. Uh, after that point in time, uh, there will be no opportunity when Jesus comes again to judge the world. But as the Apostle Paul says in another part of the Bible, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day that God is calling us to come and know his love and to find salvation. Um, I love uh, watching people at the arrivals lounge of the airport. Has uh, anyone else just kind of watched people? <laughs> That's a bit uh, strange, isn't it? Um, but uh, I, I uh, sometimes sit there and watch people uh, at the arrivals lounge of the airport. Uh, the last time I was there, I noticed that there was a florist at uh, the arrivals lounge. Uh, you don't see a florist at the departure lounge, do you? But you see it at the arrivals lounge. Why? Well, um, that's the place where people show their love and where people receive that love, isn't it? You know, a, a lover waiting for his beloved to return from a long work trip holding a bunch of flowers or loving parents waiting for their child to return from studying overseas with a big bunch of gerberas or an old man with his walking aid eagerly waiting for his elderly wife who has been away visiting family overseas holding a bunch of flowers because he so desperately wanted to see his wife again. You know, these people have gone to great lengths to show their love. But imagine if that young lady comes out of the terminal and walks straight past her lover, holding the bunch of flowers. Or imagine the child coming out of the terminal and walking straight through his family as though they were not even there. Or imagine the old lady coming out of the terminal and brushing past her husband, holding the flowers and even knocking him over together with his walking aid. You would have to say that this says more about them than it says about the ones who are showing the love, don't you think? You see, what God, God's word tells us today is that he has gone to extraordinary lengths to show his love to you and to me. And so if we reject his love, then it says more about us than it says about God. In fact, to spurn God's love and to ignore his son deserves nothing but condemnation from God. That's why John says in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. But here's a question. Why would anyone reject God's love? Here we have a God who created the universe, 
who has done everything within his power to show love to the world and to show love towards you and me. Why on earth would anyone reject God's love? Why would anyone refuse the salvation that God has to offer in his son? Well, the answer that John gives here is it's because people loved the darkness. You can see it there in verse 19, can't you? Have a look with me at verse 19. John says, and this is the judgment. That is, this is the verdict. This is the truth. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Uh, we've already seen Jesus being described as the light in previous weeks, haven't we? Uh, in John's gospel, the light is symbolic of God's goodness. The light is symbolic of Jesus uh, revealing God to us. The light is symbolic of life and, and life to the fullest. These are all things that Jesus brings, you see. He brings God's goodness. He reveals God to us. He brings the life of God, which is eternal. And so why on earth would people reject God's love and refuse to come to the light? Well, it's because people love the darkness rather than the light. Uh, you know, I live in Strathfield South, which is a very rough area. Uh, in my neighborhood, there have been a number of crimes and uh, these crimes I've noticed always take place at night. Uh, on one night, somebody decided that they would smash the side mirrors of every single car on our street. And so when our neighborhood woke up the next morning, we all found our side mirrors were smashed or missing. On an, or another time, there was a Korean man tied up and left in the middle of the street. When I read the news in the morning, it seemed to be retribution from a crime syndicate for not paying back gambling debts. You see, wickedness often happens in the darkness, doesn't it? Why? Well, it's because those who do wicked deeds are afraid of being exposed. That's why John says in verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. That is the real reason why people reject God's love, isn't it? That is the real reason why people refuse to come to the light of Jesus. It's because they love the darkness and they are afraid that if they come to the light of Jesus, their wickedness will be exposed, not only to other people, but ultimately exposed to their own consciousness and their own consciences. For coming to Jesus involves having your sin and rebellion against God exposed in such a way that you cannot help but admit that you have been wrong about your life, that you deserve condemnation, and that you need Jesus to save you. But sadly, this is the very reason why people won't come to the light. It's because the hardest thing for sinful people in their stubborn hearts and in their stubborn pride is to admit that they have been wrong about God 
and that they are facing God's condemnation and that they desperately need Jesus to rule their lives rather than themselves ruling their lives. This is the real reason why people don't come to Jesus, isn't it? You know, the atheist university professor who says he won't come to Jesus because Christian, Christianity is full of intellectual holes? God says, that's not the real reason. It's because he loves the darkness. You know that non-Christian friend who keeps on making excuses when you invite her to church? God says she loves the darkness. That's the real reason. You know the guy that keeps on saying he won't believe unless God shows him a sign? Not because of a lack of evidence that he won't believe in Jesus. God says it's because he loves the darkness. For in the end, the reason why people don't come to the light is not because there is an intellectual problem with Christianity or people don't have time or there is no evidence for God. God says it is because people love the darkness and they can't bear to have their sin exposed before God. But wonderfully, notice that in verse 21, we are told that there are some who come out of the darkness and come to the light of Jesus. You can see there that these are the people who do what is true, not only in the sense of living by the truth of God's word, but ultimately by turning to Jesus, who is the truth. Why do these people come to Jesus? Well, it's not because they figure out who Jesus is on their own and they're attracted to Jesus because of their own goodness. Rather, it's because God himself works in them by his spirit so that all their works, including their work of turning to Jesus, is carried out through God and his power. And so, my friends, uh, if you are here this morning and you have not come to the light of Jesus, if you have not put your trust in Jesus and received forgiveness and eternal life in him, then perhaps God is nudging you this morning. Perhaps the spirit of God himself is nudging you in that direction this morning. Why don't you turn, your, turn from your life of ignoring God, rejecting him, trying to live your life without him. And why don't you come to Jesus, the son of God today, and put your trust in him so that you will not perish eternally, but that you will have eternal life. God loves you so much that he went to extraordinary lengths to save you rather than condemn you. But I know that many of us have already come to Jesus. You have come to the light. You have put your trust in Jesus. You, now, you are now living in the light rather than in the darkness. If that is you, I want you to see this morning just how much God loves the world and God loves you. As I said earlier, I think it's often people who do a lot of 
staff at church, look busy, busy serving others, who are convinced that God loves everyone else, but find it hard to believe that God loves them. If that is you, then hear what God has to say today. He says, I love you. I sent my son to die for you. You have come to the light because I have worked in your life. I do not simply love others. I love you. Let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love towards us. We thank you that even though uh, we are people who are not deserving of your love, we find the astonishing news in the pages of Scripture that you sent your precious only Son to die for us and for our sins so that we might be forgiven and have eternal life. We thank you that you have drawn us to the light of your Son and that this is your work in us. And so we pray that you would help us to be a people who marvel at your goodness towards us and people who bask in the glory of all that you have done for us. Father, we thank you that whilst Jesus will one day come to judge this world and condemn evil once and for all, that now is not the time for condemnation, but for salvation. And so we pray that you would please draw many in this world who are living in darkness to the light of your son, so that they too might find forgiveness and what is truly life. Now please help us to see the times that we are living in so that we might do all that we can to hold out eternal life to those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.